congregation, turn with me, first of all, in your Bibles to Isaiah chapters 11 and 12. Look at these two chapters, as well as Acts chapter 4, in connection with Lord's Day 11 of our catechism this morning. I trust, remember from last time, that we confess that we believe in God the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. We believe that God not only created the world, but he still takes care of the world, that he still takes care of us as well and provides all that we need for body and soul. And so as we come to this second part of the creed, I believe in Jesus, we do so in the context of God's providence. In God's providence, he has provided a savior. And we read about him here in Isaiah chapter 11, page 732 in our Adoration Bibles. Isaiah chapter 11, read chapters 11 and 12 together. And there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. And the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. And that day the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The jealousy of Ephraim shall depart and those who harass Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. But they shall swoop down on the shoulder of the Philistines in the west and together they shall plunder the people of the east. They shall put out their hand against Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites shall obey them. And the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt, and will wave his hand over the river with his scorching breath, and strike it into seven channels, and he will lead people across in sandals. And there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people, as there there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. You will say in that day, I will give you thanks, O Lord. For though you are angry with me, your anger turned away, that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. 
For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And you will say in that day, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. Sing praises to the Lord, for he has done gloriously. Let this be made known in all the earth. Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitant of Zion. For great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. Turn also to Acts chapter 4. Read these first 12 verses together. Acts chapter 4, page 1160 in the Pew Bibles, 1160. Acts 4 comes in the immediate context of Acts chapter 3, where the apostle Peter said to the lame man in verse 6, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And that lame man leapt for joy. The people are amazed. And so now Peter is preaching to the people. Verse 1 of chapter 4. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. Greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. When they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead by him, this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So far, God's Holy Word may bless that to us as we meditate upon it this morning. Turn with me also in your Forms and Prayers books to Lord's Day 11 of the Catechism, page 212 in the Forms and Prayers books. We'll make this confession together. I'll read the answers. We'll join in confessing the... I'll read the questions. We'll answer together. Congregation, why is the Son of God called Jesus, meaning Savior? Because he saves us from our sins. And because salvation is not to be sought or found in anyone else. Question 30. Do those who look for their salvation and security in saints and themselves or elsewhere really believe in the only Savior, Jesus? No. 
Although they boast of being his, by their actions they deny the only Savior, Jesus. Either Jesus is not a perfect Savior, or those who in true faith accept this Savior have in him all they need for their salvation. This the church does believe. Beloved congregation, the Lord Jesus Christ, there was once a man living in the city of Judah, of Jerusalem. His life was chiefly characterized by waiting, waiting and waiting for the true consolation of Israel. And even in his old age, he had not lost sight of things, as often the case for us, but he was righteous and devout, and the Holy Spirit rested upon him. While we don't know when or where or how it happened, it must have been quite something when the Spirit of Christ revealed to Simeon that he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Christ with his very eyes, until he had seen the Promised One, the Messiah, the Savior of Israel and of the world. But one day in the course of God's providence in human history, Simeon got ready for church. Boys and girls, you know what that's like to wake up Sunday morning to get ready for church. But can you imagine how wonderful a thing it would be if when you walked through those front doors, you didn't just see the greeting elder, but you also saw standing next to him the Lord Jesus Christ, ready to take you up in his arms to hold you tightly. Can you imagine how wonderful it would be to to hear him say in our ears, oh, how I've longed to see you. It'd be a great day of rejoicing, wouldn't it, to see the Savior face to face. Well, that's precisely what happened to Simeon. After spending a lifetime of waiting and waiting, he saw with his very eyes the Savior of the world, Simeon, entered the temple, and there they were, Joseph and Mary, holding baby Jesus in their arms. They named him Jesus, boys and girls, because the angel of the Lord had said to Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus, because he will save his people from all their sins. The wait was over. The day of consolation, the day of Israel's comfort had finally come upon them. Isaiah's prophecy of things future were finally piercing into the present so that one and all might sing from the heart, I will give you thanks, O Lord, for though you are angry with me, you have turned your anger away so that you might comfort me. And so when Simeon saw Jesus with Joseph and Mary, he took Jesus up in his arms and blessed God, saying, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, according to the promise. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light of revelation for the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. Boys and girls, did you catch what Simeon said? Praising God, he says, Now I have seen with my eyes your salvation. Because holding Jesus in his arms, that's what Simeon was able to say. He was able to say that because that's who Jesus is. Jesus is God's salvation for sinners. When God sent Jesus into this world, into this wicked world, this 
corrupt world, broken down by sin, God became our salvation. That's what the Apostle John tells us in his first epistle when he says, See what kind of love the the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God? For Jesus appeared to take away sin, and in him there is no sin. He said in his gospel, For God so loved the world that he sent his only Son, that whoever believes in him might not perish but have everlasting life. And so, boys and girls, the message of this morning's sermon is not really too complicated. It's a rather simple message I hope each and every one of you will take to heart and never forget. And here it is in a nutshell. In Jesus, you have all that you need. In Jesus, you have everything you need for salvation, for a life of godliness. Each one of us, people of God, needs to reaffirm that in our hearts this morning. That's what the Spirit of Christ is, is calling us to do today, to, to say in our hearts, to live in our lives, that which is at the very heart of the good news of the gospel. In Jesus, I have all that I need. You need nothing more and nothing less than to believe that this morning. In Jesus, you have all that you need. In him, you have been reconciled to God. All your sins have been washed away in the blood of his cross. In Jesus, the power of your shame has been dealt the deadly blow. And so you need not be afraid anymore of coming into the very near presence of God. In Jesus, you've been raised already here and now to to newness of life that you might truly begin to say no to sin and, and yes to righteousness. In Jesus, you have all that you need. That's what Lord's Day 11 is all about. That's what we believe when we say, I believe in Jesus. And as we come to this Lord's Day, we do so in the context of Lord's Days 9 and 10, and particularly in the light of God's providence. I trust you remember that in light of God's providence, we, we know him to be a faithful father who will provide whatever we need for body and soul, who will turn to our good, whatever adversities come our way in this sad world. These things he is able to do and faithful to do for the sake of Christ, his son. And in the course of God's perfect providence in human history, he provided for us what we could not otherwise have provided for ourselves. In God's perfect providence, he provided a savior. A savior who, as you'll recall from Lord's Day 6, was promised already all the way back in paradise, who was then promised again to the patriarchs and then portrayed throughout all those Old Testament ceremonies and sacrifices until finally the promise was fulfilled in the sending of his son. The prophet Isaiah speaks of this provision in chapters 11 and 12 of his prophecy when he reminds the people of Israel that a day is coming when a fruitful shoot shall spring forth in the stump of Jesse to, to reign over all the earth in righteousness, to restore rest to the world. These words of promise Isaiah proclaims to a people like us. He proclaims these words to a failing and flunking people like you and me. These words of glorious promise he proclaims to faithless Israel who, who in their sin have, have taken many fake and false saviors, looking to the gods of the world and to the failing works of their hands for success and security. 
And so in the last ten chapters, various indictments have been laid out against the people of Israel. The first words of Isaiah's prophecy begin by, by God speaking this way, Hear, O heavens, and give, give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they rebelled against me. They have forsaken me. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. And they are utterly estranged. And so judgment is surely to fall upon the people of Israel. But now congregations in the midst of their misery that God reminds his people of the promised Messiah. So as I say, even in spite of your sins, even in spite of your misery, the Messiah is, is still coming. He's still on the way. The spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of of counsel and might, the spirit of the fear and and knowledge of the Lord. You shall not judge by what his eyes see or by what his ears hear, but with righteousness, with equity, he shall judge the nations. And in that day, says the prophet, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal for the peoples, and of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Congregation, the good news of the gospel this morning is that in God's good timing and perfect providence, that day has come upon us. That's what Simeon was saying in the temple as he held the Lord Jesus in his arms. For my eyes have seen your salvation, revelation for us the Gentiles, and glory for his people Israel. In God's good timing and perfect providence, the promised Savior of the world came down from heaven. In an ultimate display of divine humility, he sprung forth from that lowly stump of Jesse where it seemed as though all hope was gone. And he became like us, taking on a real human nature like ours. So that as a second Adam, he might obey God, so that he might earn for us and restore to us righteousness and light. He came to do as Isaiah foretold, to be raised up as a signal or as a banner to the nations. He came to assemble and to gather a people who had been banished and scattered on account of their sins. He came to destroy their spiritual enemies, to pave a highway of salvation, just as he had done in the days of Israel, the exodus from Egypt. He paved a highway through the sea for them to cross through on their sandals on dry ground. He came to destroy their enemies, to gather the scattered. These things he came to do for me. These things he came to do for you. And that way you see Jesus is a very personal Savior. He is a personal Savior with God's power, not only to to wash away sin in an abstract, general way, but to wash away my sins, to wash away your sins. According to the perfect plan and providence of God, he came to save you and me. So that each one of us here might exclaim with the prophet, although you are angry with me, you have turned your anger away, that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust, I will not be afraid, for the Lord God, he is my strength and my song. And he has become my salvation. My salvation. 
indeed with great joy, as Isaiah foretold. In true faith, we have drawn from the water of salvation so that we can say both here in this place, but also out there in every place, give thanks to the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim his name, that the name of Jesus is exalted. For God himself has highly exalted him, giving Jesus the name that is above every other name, that every knee should bow, every tongue confess that Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. In that name, you see, in the name of Jesus, there is great power. In that name, there is great power to, to change and to transform the disposition, of even the hardest of hearts, to, to repent of sin, to look to him in faith. And so the catechism having the aim to solidify in our hearts and lives that that joy of living and dying and the joy of Christian comfort. Ask the question, why is the, the Son of God called Jesus, meaning Savior? And the answer we confess is intensely personal, isn't it? Because he saves us from our sins. That's why. Because he saves me from my sins. Because he saves you from your sins. And because salvation cannot be found in anyone else, and it is futile to look for salvation anywhere else. Boys and girls, the reason why we call him Jesus is because he saves us from our sins. God was so concerned that we should know, that we should know that God came to forgive us of our sins, that he embedded that promise within the name of his Son, so that who he is and and what he came to do might never become detached in our minds. So when we think Jesus, we think Savior, the one who saves me from my sins. And so as we consider this name together, we need to take a moment of pause to remember where exactly this name came from. Certainly there were other boys in Jesus' day who were given the same name. Perhaps some of you know that Jesus is simply the, the New Testament name for what was Joshua in the Old Testament. I'm sure it was by no means uncommon for covenant fathers clinging to the covenant promise to to name their sons Joshua, meaning God will save. But when it came to naming the Son of God, it was not merely a matter of parental preference on the part of Joseph and Mary, but rather it was a matter of divine revelation. As Joseph contemplated that night, whether or not he should stay at Mary's side, or leave her on account of her unexpected pregnancy. The angel of the Lord comes to him and says, No, you must not leave her, for the child she carries has been conceived of the Spirit, and he will save you, and he will save all his people from all their sins. From the very outset, you see, lest there would be any confusion as to Christ's mission and purpose, God revealed to Joseph that his name would be called Jesus. Just as our names serve to identify who we are, so too here the the name of Jesus would serve to identify who he is, as well as the the purpose that God had entrusted to him. And so all the days of his life, he bore that name, the name Jesus, as a testimony to the reality that he came, not to do his own will, but to do the will of him who sent him. He bore that name, Jesus, as a permanent testimony that that was why he came. Even when it was 
very difficult as even as the hour of the cross was closing in on him, Luke tells us that he did not waver. He fixed his eyes upon Jerusalem to the place of the cross. All his life he lived as a man on a mission. And that mission was spelled out in his very name to save us from our sins. That mission is spelled out with crystal clarity here in Lord's Day 11 to save us from all our sins. God, having seen the gravity of our sin and misery, rather than simply finishing us off with the full weight of the curse that our sin deserved, in his infinite grace and mercy, God chose to save God chose to save a people from the guilt of their sins, to, to reconcile a people estranged back to himself. God chose to save a people from the power of sin, to truly raise them up to newness of life in virtue of Christ's resurrection from the dead. And that's what was at the very heart of the apostolic message. That was, was at the heart of the message in Acts chapter 4. But that message, as you know, was despised by many. After his death on the cross, the Sadducees had hoped that the name of Jesus would be forgotten forever. And see, it's not hard to imagine their great frustration when they hear in Acts chapter 4 that Peter and John were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. For they had healed a man who had been lame from birth. He was a child of the covenant, but from the day he was born, he was never able to walk. Spending his life begging for money and for food outside the beautiful gate in Jerusalem, just outside the temple. Year after year, there he lay. His condition, by all appearances, entirely hopeless. But to him, to this hopeless beggar, The Lord Christ sent his servants, Peter and John. They came as preachers of the gospel, having in themselves no strength of their own, but having the strength of the message of the gospel, having the great power in the name of their Savior, whom they proclaimed. And so they said to him, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he stood up and began to walk, leaping and praising God. Having faith in Jesus, he was made able to walk, to leap for joy. And that miracle then became the occasion to preach the gospel, to preach God's full work of salvation, such that some 5,000 men of Israel came to believe their words. But the Sadducees are outraged. The leaders in Jerusalem are furious at these words. When Peter and John are brought before the trial, before the Sadducees. They're asked the question, by what power, by by what name do you perform such things? But then Peter, being filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter, clinging to that promise that Jesus had said, I will give you my spirit, he said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man by what means he has been healed, let it be known to all of you that by the name of Jesus, whom you crucified, that by the name of Jesus, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing well. 
Peter had commanded the man to walk in the name of Jesus, and by faith in Jesus' name, the man who was lame was made able to leave. Because there is great power, great power in the name of Jesus, not only to heal physical disease, but far greater power even than that to heal us of our spiritual disease of sin and death. That's what Peter goes on to say, isn't it? There is salvation that can be, salvation cannot be found in anyone else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Earlier on in his Pentecost sermon, Peter being filled with the same spirit had proclaimed that whoever would, would call upon that name on the name of Jesus would be saved. Jesus is a personal savior with God's power. He is your savior. And he is powerful not only to take care of you and to come alongside of you, but also to forgive you, to save you from all your sins. And so he is a perfect savior for God's people. Jesus is a perfect savior, not only for yesterday, not only for tomorrow, but he is a perfect savior also for today. And that's what our catechism is getting at here in the second question of this Lord's Day. He can be relied on today. He can be trusted in today. The catechism asks the question of those who, who look for their salvation and security in saints and themselves or, or anyone else really believe in the only Savior, Jesus? How do we answer that question, boys and girls? Do those who look for salvation outside of Jesus really believe in him? Do they really belong to him? And the answer is quite simple, isn't it? No. Although they boast of being his, by their actions they deny the only Savior, Jesus. Congregation, we need to listen to what the Spirit of Christ is saying to us in his word in this faithful summary of his word. You can't have it both ways. Either Jesus is nothing to you or he is everything to you. Either he is not a perfect savior or you have in him all that you need for salvation. That's the way it was between the Sadducees and the believers in the days of Peter and John. And that's the way it is today. It's good to recognize, of course, to confess our neediness. The catechism, in fact, says that's the first thing we need to know if we're going to get the gospel right. We have to know our neediness. But it's equally important that we get the second part of the equation right as well. And having confessed our neediness, we must also confess in our hearts that our neediness has been met fully and finally in Jesus and in him alone. Boys, girls, when we say the Apostles' Creed, that's what we're saying. That's what we mean when we say, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord that our Savior is a perfect Savior. That he is not only all-powerful, but he is also all-sufficient, that in him we have all that we need. Jesus is not an imperfect Savior. He's not lacking here or there. But in every way, he is exactly what you need and who you need. He is your strength when you are weak. He alone is the treasure you should seek. He is you're all in all. Worthy, worthy is his name. In him, you have permanent peace for this world's perils. In him, 
we have triumph over this world's tribulations. In him, we have an anchor that keeps us closely tethered to the fellowship of our Father, such that we can never drift away from the love that he has for us. And so as we consider the answer to this question, we need to let our minds go back in history to consider the context in which this confession comes to us, that it was in a context where this truth of the gospel had been hidden from the people of God for many years. For many years, God's people being instructed by the Roman Catholic Church to, to ask for the help of saints and for others to, to rest partly in Jesus and partly in themselves. But the Protestant Reformation recovers for us that wonderful gem of the gospel that it's in Jesus alone. That in him alone we have all that we need for our salvation. That it's not that Jesus brings us in but says, by the help of saints and by your own works, you have to keep yourselves in. But in him we have all that we need. He is not a partial Savior. He is a perfect Savior. Who says, come to me in faith. I will bring you in and I will keep you in. Either Jesus is not a perfect Savior, or those who accept this Savior in true faith have in him all that they need for salvation. So why would you ever look to anyone else? We live in a world with so many fake saviors, so many false saviors, who promise us everything but deliver on nothing. World rulers promise to strive for peace, but they can never finally achieve it. They promise justice, but many of them are as corrupt as the criminals they prosecute. But at the name of Jesus, not only shall every knee bow and tongue confess, but at the name of Jesus, all the, the weariness and warring of this world shall finally be brought to an end. Even such that the wolf will dwell with the lamb. And the whole earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters of the, cover the sea. And already here and now, we know this Savior, this restoring Savior, to be our Savior. Already here and now, we know him to be the Savior who has laid down his life for us and who loves us completely. And so I can say this morning, I give you thanks, O Lord. And I will trust, I will not be afraid, for the Lord God is my strength and my song. Can you say that this morning? If you've looked to Christ Jesus for salvation, then surely you can. The Spirit of Christ bids us this morning to give thanks to the Lord, to call upon his name, to make known his deeds among the peoples, proclaim that his name is exalted. For his name is Jesus. And he has saved us from all our sins. And in him we have all that we need. May we forever cling to this Savior until finally we see this Savior face to face. Amen.